It's time for Done Being Single with your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Scharf. If you're dating the same type over and over again, making the same mistakes and not finding love, then you're not done being single. What you need is some tough love dating intervention, Trevor and Robbie style. Whether you're new to dating or have been dating forever, we've got you covered. Now, here are your hosts, Trevor and Robbie Sharp. Welcome. Welcome. If you hang out a little bit, you'll see us really make out. Really? No. Okay. I, I, but I'm trying to get people to tune in. So we, okay. we start our shows with a kiss. Yes. One and, of these days we're going to... And really, we end with a slug. Right. Um, That's our post-production meeting. <laughs> Pre-pro we kiss, and then right. at the end when we wrap... Oh, we, boy. I think we're getting better. We put the gloves on. We're getting much better. We are getting better. We are really getting much better. Getting into at the this. flow of this. Well, we do enough of them. Eventually. Yeah. Well, it took us a little while to figure out. It took us. Yes, it took us. How's your took us? Very good, thank you. It is very good. Yeah, thanks. It's one of the first things I noticed about you. I know that was what you said. Nice took us. Nice took us. When you put your hand down there, <laughs> around there. <laughs> Shh, not supposed to know what happened on the first date. Shh, I know. I, I left that out of my book. What? I took that out. I'm, Why? I'm writing a book, everybody. I mean, I wrote a book. <clears throat> and uh, it comes out in uh, February 2023. I'm reading a book. Huh. Uh, okay. it's in the, we're editing it right now. Yes. Anyway, so there was a, yeah, on our first date, this is not in the book, um, we were making out, which was probably a no-no, a first date no-no. You should never do that. Um, but we did. Do as we because say. Because we were 51 and 57. Six. And... Um, and yeah, and we were kind of making out on our first date, and Robbie put his hand on my backside and said, Nice took us. Yeah. Right. Very good. I thought it was cute. It was cute. It, it, it helped seal the deal. That's what it did. Early on. Yeah, I, I thought yeah. it was pretty adorable. Okay, well. Okay, how, anyway, back to how are you feeling? business. I'm feeling good. I feel good. Better than last night? Uh, yeah. Okay. I bet night last Okay. Diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Diarrhea. Oh, we try to Pepto. sing that. Do we, when you've got indigestion, heartburn. Right. What, what is it? Stomach. Upset stomach. Diarrhea. Diarrhea. Maybe we'll Pepto. get Pepto to be a sponsor. That'd be great. That'd be good for you. Done being single. Sponsored by Pepto Bismol. Done having diarrhea with Trevor Brandon Sharp. <laughs> I'm done having diarrhea. <laughs> Very good. Okay. Imodium. Uh, so what's going on today? Well, we're going to talk about relationships and I, I actually, I'm what a concept. Okay. But I, I, this is with a little bit of a caveat no, uh, of in that I really want, I want to hear it from the man's point of view. I want to dress men. I want to, I want to talk to men. I want to, you want to undress men? I want to hear you guys talk about relationships. I want to hear, uh, what you can, what guys can do better. I want you to give it, I want to listen. I want to know what love is. Yeah, okay, I, I want to know that too. Right. And um, I think men want to know that. And our guest is the perfect guy. Who's that? He's the man of the hour, Jason Gaddis. Okay. Okay. And I have a feeling this is going to be good. I because, can only hope so. Um, based on everything I know about Jason, uh, I he's super passionate about what he does. He's extremely knowledgeable, very 
well-educated in in the field of relationships, which I'm fascinated with how anybody gets into the relationship business. And it, it feels like, and I may be wrong, that his emphasis is on men, training men, teaching men, inspiring men, showing men. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, we were going we're gonna to find out. Okay. And I, I, for one, am very interested because I talk about, you know, women. It's women, 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 right? Girls, 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 <laughs> girls gone oh, yeah. wild. But, but everybody tends to think girl, uh, relationships is, a, is like a, it's a women's thing. And it's not. It takes two. Right. And we very rarely sort of address the guys in this. What's their part? What do you mean we rarely address? We, we, well, it's, it's all about, I mean, I think the guys in that, you know, it, we're, it, we're Neanderthal. We're terrible at relationships. We really suck. Do you though? Oh really, my, I think we do. I, I, from my experience, not from my experience, not with me, but I think my experience in hearing other guys and seeing what they go through, uh, I can, you know, name those issues in you know ten seconds. Okay, good. Thank you. I'm glad you said it because I, I do feel that way, and, I, and maybe because I'm a woman, and but you know what? A lot of my my dating coaching clients are men. So I can't be surprised. I can't act like, oh, I don't know that this, yes, it does affect men. You're not off the hook, though, either. Women are not off the hook. No. So there is a shared responsibility, but it is is shared. It is an an issue, and men are struggling just as much as women. So with that um, said, okay, we're bringing Jason on. Jason Gaddis is an author, relationship expert, and coach who teaches people the one class they didn't get in school, how to do relationships. Hello, where were you when I was in school? Uh, Jason leads one of the most in-depth and comprehensive relationship trainings and trains coaches from all over the world on how to be relationship coaches. Jason has thousands of fans and followers over multiple channels. He's the host of the Relationship School podcast with over 4 million downloads and over 330 episodes. Wow. How many do we have? Uh, We're about 120. God, we are slacking. He's... Also, the visionary behind the Relationship School, his book, Getting to Zero, was just released and named Editor's Pick, nonfiction, by Amazon for October 2021. Jason Gaddis, welcome to Don Green Hello, Jason. Come on up? in. And there you are. Excellent. Hi. Hi. Great to be here. Nice. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. And uh, you're calling us from where? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Excellent. Jason, you, you are wearing love all over your head. I am. It's on your head. It's in your head. Um, in your heart. In your heart. That's right. You do it for a living. You do it all day I long. You it. do it no. in your sleep. You eat shit and breathe love. Okay. Eat shit and breathe love. I did that last night. <laughs> Ooh, I should get that t-shirt. That's right? Yes. Anyway. Okay. So I, I I said it in the, in the intro um, in our little... What do we call our intro? It's not an intro. It's a pre... It's a... Uh, a warm-up, an appetizer, I don't know. Yeah. It's a how, sweet banter that you guys yeah, yeah, it's, like it. Okay. I, I am fascinated how anybody gets into the relationship business. And I, I, I read your bio, but what's the story behind the story? Yeah, I know, right? A man, you know, into relationships. That's my jam. That's what I'm about. I got into relationship work and healing and helping because I was a disaster at relationships. And I just got in so much pain, I wanted to change that part of my life. And so I got after it and learned a few things and wanted to share what I was learning with others. How did you know you were a disaster? What made you feel that? Yeah, I mean, I was the classic emotionally unavailable man. 
Um, the women I dated in my 20s in particular wanted obviously more from me. I uh, wanted to kind of crack the code of my wall uh, that I was putting up. And whenever they ask me what's wrong, what's going on, are you okay, what's happening in there, I, I, I couldn't really describe what was going on inside. And it just made me more annoyed, so I would push them away. And eventually uh, I felt better because I didn't feel bad anymore because they were gone. And so I concluded it must be the women that I was dating, mm-hmm. right? I didn't know it was a feeling inside, actually. <laughs> it's seriously kind of dumb, but I repeated that for, you know, about a decade in lots of relationships. And wow. I, uh, in my deep down in my heart of heart, you know, in my hiding behind my wall, I, I did want partnership. I wanted to be known uh, and understood. And, but I didn't know how, and I didn't want to admit that I didn't know how. And I was pretty unaware. So I just kept pushing women away. Uh, I'm sorry. Was this a, a pattern that you recognized yeah. after like a decade? You said, and was it a strong woman that actually guided you out of that, or was what? what oh, how'd you a get question. Right. So at age 29, I was breaking up with another good woman in the Whole Foods parking lot, and Great I was just kind of realized that it was. I, I said something to the effect of, "It must be me," you know. And I had said that before uh, to women I'd broken up with before, because I was breaking up with her. And, but this time something rang true about it. I like, it must be me. And I was like, I think actually it is me this time. I I was sort of saving face saying that earlier. And this time I kind of meant it. And I was like, oh, Um, yeah. I I realized I was the one common denominator in all my kind of track record of very short-lived relationships. I guess that kind of begs the question um, about your relationship challenges, not challenges, how you grew up, how you saw love which then leads me to attachment theory, but let's get well, to that in a minute. Yeah, come on, one thing okay, at a time. That's, no, a, no, no, that's a huge it, comment. I, mean, I, I, love, no. I love the comment about yes. how we grew up because that's such well, an important the, thing. Yes. So, okay, go ahead. Don't, don't slough Part, over that. I'm a little bit of a compound questioner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, ignore, the, ignore the last sorry, three questions. Just go for the, the first one yeah, that she asked. Okay. Okay. No. I love the curiosity, though. Uh, yeah, so I was just a sensitive, emotional, empathic boy, and I had a stern father, and I grew up in a sports culture where crying and being emotional and sensitive was not really welcome. So I just buried all that shit and it went underground and then it created, it created acceptance and belonging, which I liked, but it came at a price, which is I felt kind of depressed and anxious inside. Cause I feel like I couldn't be my true self. And so then it created even more problems in my twenties when I started dating women because I, I, at this point, you know, two decades later, was like pretty jammed up emotionally and didn't even know what was going on. Uh, I was just in a strategy of trying to get girls to like me and being kind of a showboat sports guy and extreme athlete and um, hiding, you know, deeply behind a big brick wall. So, uh, yeah, certainly my early experiences helped cultivate a pattern where I would, you know, have a, a bit of relationship problems, you know. Was there a light bulb moment? I mean, in that parking lot at, at Whole Foods, where you you know you thought it you were the, um, the consistent factor in all of these breakups, uh, where you realized I'm not just saying it; I actually have to believe it and amend it. Yeah, that that was the turning point in my life. Honestly, that's probably the single biggest turning point in my life in that car, and I drove away feeling um, relieved, not because I had ended another relationship that I was uncomfortable in. But because I was onto myself, you know, I was like, oh my God, if it's true that I'm the problem here, I can actually do something about that. Because I had always tried to change every woman I dated. 
And I was like, okay, it's time to change myself. And then a few months later, I was in graduate school studying psychology. Wow. Great. That was the catalyst? Yeah. So before that, you did not have any interest in pursuing? Very little. I'd read some leadership books in my 20s, and I was kind of into the leadership model, which was more like adding layers to my strategy instead of dismantling the whole thing. So I, I, I never had gone to therapy. I didn't even know what therapy was. In fact, when I looked for a program in graduate school on becoming a therapist, I found all these graduate programs for occupational therapists, and I didn't know what the difference was. I was that clueless. And then I became one, <laughs> a psychotherapist, that is. In, in retrospect, did you have regrets of any past relationships that you broke up with because you weren't emotionally available at that moment? Any revisiting? I, once I started, yeah, totally. Once I started going to therapy and um, group an individual and joined a men's group eventually and got kind of really started waking up to all my issues, I started seeing the carnage, the trail of tears I'd left behind. And I, I started writing letters and taking responsibility for how I'd, you know, kind of fucked up. Like apology type letters to some of these? Apology past? type letters, exactly. Ownership. I'm a big fan of right. ownership uh, more than on the apology, but I, I included the apology, of course. Yeah, just saying, hey, I. You know, I made you wrong, and actually, you wow. weren't wrong. That is heavy. I was just stuck and, you know, struggling and didn't know how to talk about it. How'd it go over? Uh, I got some responses and some no responses. And the responses were very cordial and sweet. That's Incredible. very brave. Very brave. Very admirable. And I, I guess it's also, uh, it gives you the ability to kind of uh, stow it. I mean, and... and and feel good about it and move on because you can't really move on from that until you acknowledge it, I guess, and uh, get the acknowledgement from the other person too. So, Yeah, totally. And I, I also had to close some, I had to kind of burn the black book, so to speak, and had to close some doors that my, one of my patterns was kind of leaving doors cracked open with X's just in case this one doesn't work out. And once I met my wife, she's like, no, I'm not having that shit. And so I, like, <laughs> Smart I closed all the exits. <laughs> Very good. It's great. It's a great story. Yeah, I, mean, it's, I, it's... I love it for so many reasons. Yeah. <clears throat> Number one, uh, self-reflection is powerful work. Oh, yeah. It, it, it benefits everybody. So not only did you gain from it, your self-reflection benefited the women in your past that you were able to circle back to and say, hey, this is what I've learned. This is who I am now. For whatever it's worth, I'm sorry, you know, I, this is, I mean, that's really heavy and great. And people yeah, aren't, will, it, a lot, most people aren't willing to do that because it requires ownership, which is, oh my God, super scary. Sarah, it's scary, it's uncomfortable, and it means I'm wrong or bad or something. It doesn't mean that, but that's the meaning people make out of it, right? Our mistakes in our past. But I'm glad you mentioned self-reflection because it's actually self-reflection and the ability to integrate and make meaning of our experience that builds secure relationships as adults. Um, and that's researched. So um, if if adults out there listening are not making meaning of their relational history uh, and making sense of it and trying to integrate it, it's they're, they're gonna recreate the past as a way to try to figure it out and it's gonna be probably painful. So it's really important to self-reflect. I can't write fast. How has... Uh your self-reflection helped you in your therapies with your clients? 
Oh, tremendously. Not only in my marriage and with my kids, but absolutely with my clients and students that um, I often tell my own story and I often um, include things I've learned about myself and also like helping another person. I think there's, uh, you guys probably understand with working with people, there's something really satisfying about helping another person integrate a painful past relationship experience and helping them not make themselves wrong and helping them see the high side of the quote mistake and try to learn from it. Right. Because they're going to be that much more strong and confident moving forward into the next relationship. So I, it's very rewarding. Yeah. I, I think it's, um, <clears throat> so interesting that you found heal your own healing through learning. That's kind of how it works. I've, at least I have yeah. found on my path to coaching that I, in my desire to want to know me, um, I, I can't. I get so much from my clients, you know, and learning mm-hmm. the training, um, yeah. the, the this, you know, the certification process, everything that has gone into my my career right now has really just enlightened me. I don't know. You know where I'm going with this? No, I have no idea. That my he, that he, you, that you, he, Jason, and I. Uh, found our he our own healing yes. through the pursuit of this line of work. I think that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, a lot of helpers and healers. This can include doctors, nurses, acupuncturists, coaches, therapists. It seems to me, if we look closely and we examine their life, most of them had a a childhood where they became the helper, right? The with the depressed parent or the alcoholic father or the sibling that was struggling and they became a helper from a very young age and that's a superpower. Um, it can become problematic in an intimate relationship. It can look like codependency, for example, which not everybody wants or I don't recommend, but it's understandable why people get into relationships where they're the helper in the relationship, trying to fix a kind of, kind of broken person or an addicted person. But it's even better as a profession because it's like, you're going to do that. You might as well get paid for it and mm-hmm. learn, learn how to do it well, you know? Okay. Cause so can, Time out, because you bring up something very interesting about um, codependency and being a helper. And I don't think that's necessarily love. I think that's a right. sort of um, twisted yeah. uh, character, not characters, a definition of love, because it isn't, it just, there is no love. It's just one person or two people um, kind of being unhealthy together. And I, I, I don't know. One yeah. person will usually suffer. In some cases, both both people suffer. And we yeah. can go ahead and answer that. And then I'm going to ask you about attachment theory, but go ahead. Yeah, it's just, it, it's the basic, my definition of a mutual relationship is I help you and you help me. A codependent relationship is I help you, but you don't help me. And it's very one-sided, right? And the codependent, unfortunately, is getting a lot out of helping someone. They get their sense of self-worth and value from that. So they stay stuck in relationships with people who don't want to do the work or who have an addiction or are depressed or really struggling uh, to find a job or whatever. And they have all this pride and stuff um, with being the helper, but it's, it, it leads to resentment long-term. They're eventually going to get sick and tired of that pattern. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I call it death by a thousand cuts. Right. Yeah. I like that. Exactly. So would you say that you did not have healthy role relationships growing up? Well, I think healthy is, is relative. So my parents are still married after 50, 
fuck, 54 years or something. Beautiful. Uh, very impressive. And I, I think they have a great marriage for them. I would never want their marriage, but it works for them. They're, they compartmentalize their issues. They, they kind of have bitterness that you can feel when you're around them. They throw each other under the bus all the time. Yeah. Uh, there's sarcasm, but it kind of works. It kind of works for them. I wouldn't want it. Um, and so I grew up with that kind of vibe and, uh, you know, I was taught you never fight fighting's bad. Um, and that you just keep acting like you're fine and you kind of stuff your feelings and you move on. And that has a place right in this culture. But if you want a deep, beautiful, powerful, mutual relationship, it's just not going to get you there. You have to have places to let steam out. Every, every yeah. Now and, then and Yeah. And it's just so important to like my wife and I are very, you know, the title of my book is called Getting to Zero because and zero means get back to a good place. Like we're in a cool, we're cool, right? Good place. Um, right. And we just don't let things pile up. And that's just not how we roll because uh, we want a pristine, feel good environment. And when it feels bad, we work through it. Um, we have, you know, our tools and we just try to get to the bottom of it. That is marriage. That's yeah. Is this your first marriage? First marriage. Both 14 years married, 18 together. Excellent. Wow. Yeah. We're, we're going on eight this month. Nice. Happy about nine years ago. Happy anniversary. Yes. Yeah. How about that, huh? That's awesome. So, I love you, baby. I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I can't believe I've done anything for eight years. Or anyone. In that. Uh, <laughs> the, right? Huh? <laughs> you and me okay, both. No, but you, you've done long-term things. I'm not, a, I, I'm not, a, like, even work. No, Trevor. No, no, never. that's not true. That is not true. long-term relationship. No, not like, eh, no, I was thinking about what I do work-wise. Oh, yeah, but. No, I right. was, I was in the fitness business recently mm. before this, before I became a life coach for 20 years. So that's long. Okay. But anyway. uh, in terms of relationships, you've had a couple, but nothing. Nothing long. Nothing no, really no, long-term. No, no, never no. lived with anybody. Mm. Yeah, no. So living with me as the first male that she's ever lived with, it was quite, and it continues to be quite an education for her. I bet. About the male species, because she has <laughs> no idea about it. And she goes, are all men like this? Are they all this gassy? Are they? <laughs> are all men <laughs> gassy? Do they all leave their shit on the floor all the time? Well, No, he's pretty good about that. Are all men oh, gassy? Okay. Would you just please answer that question finally, once and for all? Oh, really? Here, here's the... Uh, are all men no all men probably are are a little more okay with being gassy i okay. i wonder that i wonder if women are as gassy but more private and men are a little more you, unapologetic there do you let it rip <laughs> excuse me yeah In i do sometimes wife? especially with my kids it's kind of a fun thing but oh they must love daddy. it they love daddy the dad oh. that does that yeah it's a cool oh. dad that does that so, but not around their friends, probably. It's very immature, but I like being immature sometimes. Oh, well, you know, we Robbie, are. Robbie's uh, really ten years old. Um, Jason, I yeah. had a question for you. Attachment. What is your attachment style? I'm more. Well, I'm secure these days, but I have. When I get really triggered, I go into more of an anxious, ambivalent place because that's what I grew up with. And your wife is she? She's more. Uh, avoidant when she's really stressed out. So I'm, I, yeah. you know, an easy way to think about that is I'm more of the pursuer. She's more of the distancer under stress. Okay. Yeah. But we've, we've gotten amazing tools now to, to move through that 
nervous because it's like a nervous system pattern is what I like to help people understand so that they don't make themselves wrong for their attachment style. And attachment styles are, by the way, very fluid and mind changed. I used to be more on the avoidant side. I got married and I became more anxious. That's interesting. I became more, I'm anxious with some, a little avoidant thrown in there. Uh, But wow, I have become uh, very secure, except kind of like your wife in moments of anxiety. Um, And I can just say, having my parents pass away recently, both of them really, um, my anxiety was off the charts. And Mm. And it bled into my relationship because I yeah. was so ang- I was so fearful, and I mm. was so anxious and terrified, uh, and also COVID going on at the same time. That you know that the whole loss thing was just triggering me. Yeah, like crazy. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a big deal, especially losing your parents. I haven't lost my parents yet, and so I don't know that what that's like from personal experience. But I've helped people through that stage and it's that's a lot yeah it It does impact your primary but then anything can trigger your your attachment style i mean i i have a dear friend right now who's going through a breakup and it has triggered everything from her past it has it's all coming up yeah everything and that's why to me it's so important to deal with your past because otherwise correct more the years go by it compounds it stacks and then your ability to meet it and deal with it gets compromised right Okay. The older we get. Yes. With that said, curious about your work with men, because men, as you said, are sort of wired or taught to not be sensitive, not emote, keep it down, hide it. How do you um, encourage guys to refine their vulnerability? Well, I, I often guys don't actually come to me for any kind of help. Right, because they don't think they need any help. They'd rather kind of suck it up and see if they can figure it out on their own. It's a very guy thing to do. Yeah. Um, and then they wait until they're in tremendous amount of pain. And I'm I'm similar. Like I, I ran on a bum knee for like two years before I went and actually got help. And now I have permanent cartilage loss because I was so stubborn. Right. Mm-hmm. That's part of the male conditioning. And so men won't submit to get help and support unless they're smart and proactive. <laughs> but a lot of, I think, male culture is the conditioning so thick to to kind of be strong and stoic and figure it out on your own and prioritize yourself over the relationship because that's what boys are taught. Girls are taught to prioritize the relationship over self. Uh, so, you know, generally speaking. So it's, men have a steeper path relationally. And I, it's to me that if guys could just figure out one thing, which is how to describe what they're feeling inside and how to make room for their female partner's feelings, man, they would have such better intimate relationship lives. It'd be off the charts, you know, so. Are these men clients part of a couple that come to see you or are they individuals? Yeah, usually couples, uh, students that come train with us in our longer trainings, male male and female, actually primarily women. Um, but the man, men that come are just ready. They're, they're like over their pattern. They're like, let's do this. I'm ready to change my life. And they're more secure in themselves to do that. Uh, but guys who aren't th- at that stage yet, that's a guy who's a little farther along and ready. A guy maybe a little earlier than that is, yeah, his wife or female partner is maybe bringing him, dragging him, conjoling him, trying to get him to couples counseling or therapy or coaching or to read the book or listen to this podcast or whatever. 
Uh, and that guy, if he's again, open-minded and willing, he can make a lot of progress. And then he's like, oh shit. Yeah. I just need to, God, I didn't learn this stuff. I'm ready. And he'll figure it out. But the ignorant kind of dumb guys, uh, make their lives miserable in hell because they resist. And they're like, I'm fine. I do too know what I'm talking about. I do too understand you. And they just defend, defend, defend. It's just like such a waste of time. Fascinating. Uh, are you finding a pattern of uh, certain characteristics of, of these men based on their age or their experience? I think, I, I would say, I'm curious what you think too. I, I'd say younger men are a little more, like millennials and younger are seem to me a little more open-minded here about relationships mm -hmm. and relationship work and being a little more emotionally savvy. And I think that's social media driven to be a little more emotionally intelligent is a little more hip. Uh, men's groups are also a little more cool these days. So I think the older guys, um, guys over 40, 50, like me, um, I think they struggle a lot more and they're not as open-minded. Hmm. You're dealing with uh, divorcees at that age? Yeah. Because that's what we have found is that people are, again, getting out of relationships uh, in their 50s right now uh, that have been married for 25, 30 years. Uh, we say that, I, I've always said that um, they, they seem to have been stunted when they, when they got married at 25 right. and they get divorced at 55, they're looking for 26-year-old women. Not necessarily. Or, not necessarily. But the thing is that that mm -hmm. was their last <laughs> reference of being single, possibly. Right. And, uh, you know, the, I think sometimes it's probably hard for a, a guy getting out of a relationship to go with a, a, a 55 year old woman or somebody who's age appropriate at that mm. moment. That's not what they're thinking, but mm -hmm. stunted in terms of emotionally and how to navigate, how do how do I navigate this single life at this age? Totally. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious what your kind of coaching there is as well. I, I think again, if a guy's willing, no matter his age, that's what matters. Uh, to be a willing partner in relationship that's willing to learn, willing to apply him or herself to figure out how to communicate better, upgrade the tool set that you got from 25 years ago where you fell asleep in the marriage or whatever. That's really all it takes to have a good relationship. And, you know, so it's like, can someone have an open mind at whatever their age is and be willing to learn? I think that it, there also has to be um, a baseline of worthiness that... yeah. Because if you don't feel, <clears throat> excuse me, if you don't feel worthy to begin with, you know, that somehow you, right. you're not deserving of it, it's going to be really hard to find. And it's going to be hard. That's true. To, and, to... and you'll find someone, if you do find someone, you'll find someone that treats you like shit or is your rescuer and tells you that you're the greatest thing ever and to start believing in yourself because you don't believe in yourself. So and that's so extreme. It, it kind of works out. <laughs> Right. Like we, we tend to find who we are need to grow with, but it's not always going to be fun. Curious, uh, Jason, clients, your male clients, what if they don't have a reference for healthy love? What if they grew up with oh God, <clears throat> no, totally. no, Most people no healthy right. role model? Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, like my metaphor of zero, right? Of like, let's get back to a good place. A lot of people's baseline is like a five or a four. If we go zero is, is really good and 10 is really bad and like sympathetically aroused and triggered and activated all the time. And the reason people tolerate like a three or a four as their baseline in their home is because they grew up in a family environment where conflict was never resolved. We just, everybody went to their corner of the house and we just shut up and we don't say anything. We don't bring it up. And 
a couple of days later, you sort of hope it gets better and it never really gets healed or is, is better, but you learn to just tolerate that low grade stress. So yeah, you don't have a healthy template of like what's possible here. And I, I think that's why it's incur we need to encourage, I think those people to follow influencers or teachers or thought leaders or mentors or friends who have a template that you want to mm -hmm. experience that you haven't experienced. You want to, and you hear them talk about it and it sounds like a pipe dream, but you're like, wow, really that's possible. And that then becomes our North star that we can aim for, right? Is like, okay, it is. And we can maybe believe and take someone's word for it, that it is possible to live in a mutually respectful, awesome relationship that's secure and stable and healthy. And we both can get our needs met here. I, I definitely know that's possible. That's so you, it sounds so utopian to some people that we know. Uh, right. And I, I think, you know, we have some friends and uh, who are great at sabotaging a, what could be a good, a good relationship, very strong relationship because they, mm. that's, they hit a point where they don't know how to take it past that area into uh, bliss blissfulness potential yeah. bliss and so they they kind of have to stop it and kill it and then go somewhere else and to me it, it's so frustrating to to see this objectively in friends yeah and i think those people have like a glass ceiling on their worth right what they think is possible and so they and they hit it and then they kind of hit the eject button almost unconsciously sometimes right yeah they're not even aware that they're undermining their their own relationship result they want and us being who we are, it's tough to kind of bite our tongues and not yeah. try to help where no one's oh, asking for advice. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, that's a tough one, especially of us. We're, if we're savvy about something, it could be math or music or, in this case, relationships. And to see people suffer and not ask for help and not know how to get there is hard. And hard to, to not be able to offer it freely yeah. and have it be accepted is also yeah, without thing. without you know people thinking yeah. oh you're annoying shut up shame yeah it's <laughs> it, 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 yeah right but um go doing good what else okay um well okay so I, wait let's talk about yeah. uh, uh, some of the, some cons uh, men problems what consistent problems can you what tips do you have for men that are having trouble you know getting getting over themselves or, or acknowledging their issues? How do, how, do, how do you recognize this in yourself? Yeah, I mean, I, to, to reframe the whole thing is like any, quote, problem you have as a man is an opportunity to become empowered. And can we reframe your, quote, problem as an opportunity to get strong and be more secure in yourself and confident? And I think if you are transparent, if men can be transparent about that journey, like, look, I feel a little insecure around sex or my body or my health or my money status or whatever. And I'm working on it. That's, and I'm honest about it. That's to me, very attractive to hear an honest person talk about their problem and saying, and I'm on it. I'm, I'm putting one foot in front of the other. I'm learning. I'm in student mode. That mm -hmm. to me, that's extremely sexy and attractive. What's not attractive is people being stuck in their shame, hiding their problems and being kind of immobilized in fear or self hatred or whatever, that they don't do anything. And then they just medicate and check out. And then it's like, well, how do you expect to have a great life or partnership if that's what you're going to do? Right. So that's what we witness. I have, I have a personal question, not okay. about you, but it's, it, it's yeah. a personal type subject. So 
how much does ED figure into men at a certain age and their willingness or unwillingness to put themselves out there and date? And because I kind of feel a, it might be yeah, a little bit of a um, unspoken of issue that yeah. I think holds a lot of guys back. Absolutely. I have a lot of ex personal experience of this, okay, and um, experience with a lot of men around this. And to me, it's, in the vast majority of the cases, it's a psychological issue. It's a nervous system issue that's misattuned. And guys think their cock's soft, and so they don't, they can't get it up, and then they make their body wrong, make themselves wrong, and then they go get Viagra or something. And that's, to me, that's such a shortcut and not the path you want to take if you want to learn about yourself. Uh, and just to back up and say, to answer your question, this is a big problem, especially actually with younger men. Mm -hmm. So I've read, so I understand. Um, and part of that's the porn training, like this is how sex is and this is what sex looks like. And so the constant sex sexualization of women everywhere all day long on Instagram and everything else, guys have a, they, they start training their body and mind to behave a certain way. And then they get with a real woman and they kind of don't know what to do. Uh, and also there's a, there's an incredible thing that guys miss that I missed for a long time, which was how do I attune in a slow paced way to my female partner's body and breathe and pause and connect? Like, how do I, th that's the foreplay that a lot of women want is they want to feel connected to or connected with mm -hmm. first. Right. And that sometimes takes days. Um, it's like how you treat a woman for days is like foreplay. Um, it's not like, okay, I'm ready, honey, let's go. Uh, although that's fine sometimes, but I think for us guys, we're just a little dense here. But again, there's this missing piece around the nervous system. That, and I, so I teach and had to learn to trust my cock, whatever it's communicating. And like that, that changed the game for me to like really like bow down to like my body's intelligence. So I call it a rectal intelligence actually. Oh, that's a that's a very dangerous like statement that. though because I think most guys grow up trusting their cock that's... and not trusting their brain or their heart and that can lead them in directions that are probably not beneficial. I, okay, cool. That's a that's a really valid point. Um, and I'm talking about the guys who are struggling with ED. Right. Yeah. That makes sense. Just to clarify. That. Yes. Good. <laughs> Trust the cock. Pussy has and, the and power. The guy, again, if that guy can connect heart to cock, and be in his body that's going to be the best sex he's ever had anyway with a woman. And if she can be the same way, cause she has her set of problems too. And again, it's all an opportunity. It's a crucible. Sex is a crucible for healing, for yeah. love, for learning about ourselves. It's, you know, if we can just reframe the whole fucking thing and like be honest, I think it'll be better for everybody. Well, I do. I, I specialize um, in heart to cock resuscitation with Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't get that out of my mouth. You couldn't get me couldn't out of your mouth either. <laughs> Um, wait, wait a second. I thought I saw a pretty cat. Okay. Okay. So, <laughs> yes, honey. I was going to say, and I yes. was trying to say, pussy does have the power, but you know, well, you got to tr trust the cock. Y yes, it's a, it's a shared thing, and you know, actually, I'd like to get your take on that because I always say that um, we, we always say that it pussy does have the power in a relationship, but it's the enlightened man who knows that. Mm. Because if a man feels like he's always got the power, then, you know, I think he's missing out on so much with that type of attitude. Well, we, yeah, we could, this is a whole conversation, but my quick two cents is I'm into a relationship that's got shared power. Absolutely. Just 
period, end of story, right? Yeah. And what creates polarity sometimes in charge sexually is someone has power or is more dominant. And so that in the bedroom is fine, but in, in when we're just doing chores around the house or raising the kids, I don't, I don't think that goes very well. No. Even though certain chores do fall on me and I'm fine with it. We're very shared over we, here. We are shared. Yes. Nice. It's very equal. It, it is. Yeah, so but it, yeah, which shower, is great. Shared power, I think, is essential. I mean, there's still a lot of guys, especially the older guys in the more traditional maybe generation thing of like the man runs the house. There's still people that are operating under that paradigm, right? Absolutely. Or the woman runs the house because she's the whatever. And right. it's just like, how about we both, I don't know, can we it, both share power here? Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, that's a whole other show. That dynamic you know, exists. I think that yeah. in um, in younger generations right now, the, the whole, I think feminism and I, I can't even get into it right now because I think it, feminism is just ruining everything in a lot of ways for men. I, I, I think it's really, um, What's I don't know. I just, the alternative, I don't, I, yeah, what I is think, it about, what is it about feminism that's challenging for you? It's not challenging for me. It's, I think it's challenging for men these days. In terms this, of chivalry, the, the ver- in terms of being yes, able to open yes. a car door and not have a woman yes. be assaulted by that. Yes. Or, yeah. Well, I, I, men are scared. You're, you know, yes. let's be honest. Men, men are definitely scared that they're going to fuck it up. Um, and I think that's that's not the ultimate result of any movement that we want to have. We want to have people feel less scared and more safe, both genders or wherever you are in the gender binary. Or if you're non-binary, it's like we all want to feel safe and accepted for who we are. And um, can we create homes and the culture inside of our relationship that where we're both welcome to be who we are? All said. Yes, true, that. Amen. Okay. We can go on. I mean, I have so many things I want to talk about. I do. I mean, I just the whole, the whole subject of feminism and Me Too and, you know, the idea of equality and what that's doing to ro- traditional romance. This is a whole other show. Can't even get into it. Well, we'll have him back on, though. Okay. I mean, he's he's, he's a wonderful <laughs> guest, and he's just so knowledgeable about all this, and so comfortable talking about it. See, I think that that contemporary modern feminism is sucking the life out of romance as we know it. It's just turning it into the need to be equal. Don't open my door. How dare you pay for me? Um, this kind of Mindset is just, it's a death knell for, I think, for romance. Are you finding that that is actually... <clears throat> yes. M- m- the majority of women are Not feeling that? Not our or? generation. Okay. But, whoa, it exists. It's out there. I don't well, know. Men are, you men are, I think what, whether it's feminism or not, I'm not sure, but men, it seems to me men are in a double bind these days where if I'm too strong and I take care of business and I am direct and assertive and I just whatever I do my thing, that's scary and patriarchal and kind of bad. But if I don't do anything, I'm like weak and, right. you know, a pussy and a, a feminine guy and that's bad. So it's, it's just like, wait, and you want my heart now, but I'm supposed to be strong and I'm supposed to talk about my feelings now, but I'm also supposed to kind of handle everything. And anyway, it's, it, I think guys get very wound up here. And I think the, the, uh, medicine here for men is to start like get out of out from under all of the subordinated interjects and all the messages and just find out who you are 
and start to trust yourself and act in a good way towards the people you care about. And then, then none of that shit matters. You know, it's Jason, you're, what you're saying is that it, it's a balancing act for a man to be a man today. I think you have to know your place, know your, know your, uh, positions on things and know when the right time is to show a feminine side, a masculine side, not, not, too much of either sometimes, but you want to, you have to, it's, it's a constant balancing act that I think that you have to, uh, traverse all the time. And that's, that's kind of the new normalcy. I think, I don't know how you, if you're extreme on one side or the other, uh, I think that's where you run into issues. Yeah. And I I think women have their own set of problems here, which is a woman this to, and part of this is maybe comes from feminism is you're supposed to be, um, kind of like a guy. You're supposed to be have a career and fucking not just stay home and raise the kids and you're supposed to make a bunch of money now and you're supposed to be an that's an empowered woman and it's like then what are we saying to the mothers at home who are kicking ass at home and busting their ass are they not somehow like a good woman now they've got to like act more like a man to be accepted in the world i don't know that's also yeah confusing absolutely true doesn't that isn't that sort of a boner killer though for you guys a masculine energy woman uh, not that necessarily. So interestingly, uh, uh, it could be for a very masculine man, but if we, um, a masculine woman typically attracts a f- more feminine man and ni- these are not better or worse, right? These terms are just labels. You could say a, a direct and assertive, strong quote, intense woman attracts a guy who's more of a nice guy, let's say, or more of a doormat. And that's a classic polarity. And that relationship can really work only if they are both true to themselves and they stop asking the other person to be different. Like the nice guy can't stop being so intense. And the woman's saying, stop being such a you know wimp. Um, they're just asking each other to fit into their gender conditioning box. I don't think that's a good solution. The, uh, the great, greatest relationships I know, no matter where people are and how they act, are two empowered people who are being themselves. They're not trying to fit into a fucking role. Yes. Agreed. Absolutely. Okay. Jason, tell us where people can find you. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Uh, I'm on Instagram. I'm pretty active there, at Jason with a Y, Gaddis. Or relationshipschool.com is our main site where you can find our podcast and free resources and trainings and courses and all that, all the goodies. And my book is on there as well. Is your school online? Is that... Uh... It's online. We used to be kind of a hybrid learning and then COVID hit and we went all online. We're going to go back to hybrid where, in other words, we have in-person workshops and events um, here in Colorado. But right now everything's virtual. Excellent. Okay. Uh, Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. It's great. Yeah. You're great. You're welcome. Thank Um, you. It's been fun hanging out with you too. Yeah, man. Anytime. I hope this helps your peeps. What peeps? We got 12 people. You know what? We we had thousands of peeps. (laughs) We used to have thousands. Go ahead. I forgot what I was going to say. It's because <laughs> this, is, this is your moment when you tell people. Oh, this is where you can find us. This is my favorite part of the show. Where you always where just I choke fuck on your up words. all the time. <laughs> I believe you can find us uh, Apple, Podcasts, oh, Spotify, Google. Where? How about dunbeansingle.com? You, oh, can... you can always find us at dunbeansingle.com. Of course. You can find me at trevorbrandonscharf.com. You can also just. Come on by and say hi. <laughs> yes. We're always home. We're always home. <laughs> Drive by our house and hang yeah, out. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Thank you, Jason, again. Super great. For sure. Okay. You're so welcome. Good hanging. Okay.
I'm Shadow Stevens with my friends Trevor and Robbie. See you next week on Done Being Single. <laughs>